2 Timothy chapter number 4, just one chapter over from where we were this morning. And uh, we want to spend some time together in this service. Uh, last service we dealt with the things that would cause a church to drift from being a Bible-believing church to a Bible-rejecting and liberal church. And uh, so we're going to deal this afternoon uh, with the remedy. How can we keep these things from happening? What are some things that Scripture gives us to help us as a church protect these things? And so we want to look at these uh, from Scripture in Second Timothy chapter number 4. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 down through about verse number 5. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at, the, at his appearing, and his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch now in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I'm going to give you seven things this, this afternoon. If you have a pen and you want to write them down, that's fine. Or if you want to mark them in your Bibles from this passage, then I believe are steps that can be taken um, in two areas. Number one, I believe these steps can be taken in a church to help the church remain true and faithful uh, to the precepts and the principles of God's Word. Secondly, I believe that these are also steps that can be taken individually in our own hearts and in our own lives to keep us from drifting uh, in our own personal walk with the Lord. And so these uh, tools that Paul gives here to Timothy, things that I believe he teaches Timothy, are, are beneficial to us. I'm thankful the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All of it is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, he says, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And he goes on to say that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so, uh, if you and I are to be thoroughly furnished, if we're to mature as Christians and be equipped and uh, fully, fully prepared for the work that God has for us, we're only going to get there by studying and knowing His, His Word. So uh, we're going to look at some things here that I think will be a help to us uh, in this area. We said last hour that the, the first step that I think a church takes uh, in drifting away from the things of the Lord is that they begin to have a confidence in self, a confidence in the flesh. Uh, they become self-sustaining. They, they begin to say, well, we can, we can maintain. We, we put the right uh, administration in place. We'll get the right organization. Uh, we have the right workers. We train them with the right methods. And we, 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 and we can do all of this. And instead of coming before God and saying, God, if any work is to be done, you're going to have to do it. And uh, so we've, we've talked about the confidence in the flesh being the downfall of the church. One of the things I find interesting, and as we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, is that Paul turns that around and he talks about having confidence in something else. Look with me in verse number 2. As he begins this, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. This is something he's challenging Timothy in. And rather than having confidence in the flesh, I believe what Paul is telling Timothy is, here is, have confidence in God's word. 
It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And the Bible says that it's even a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The fact that the Bible can do a transforming work. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119 that it's a way for a young man to cleanse his way uh, by taking heed thereto. Uh, it talks about uh, its cleansing effect. It talks about the fact that it instructs us. It gives us uh, doctrine. Sometimes it corrects us. Sometimes it reproves us. But we can come to the Scriptures, and I'm thankful that Paul puts this in here for Timothy. And he says, Timothy, I want you to preach the Word. Notice he doesn't say, I want you to preach what you've been taught about the Word. He says, preach the Word. Preach the Word of God. We can have confidence when everything else loses its confidence. We lose confidence in men. We lose confidence in movements. We lose confidence in groups and associations. Can I tell you one thing we will never lose confidence in, and that is the Word of God. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. And Paul comes to Timothy and he says, preach the Word. Well, I think when we begin to start having confidence in the flesh, we start coming up with man's uh, methods, man's techniques. And I've sat in uh, I've sat in Bible conferences much of my life, and uh, and soul winning conferences, and and you name it. They have a conference for everything out there. They've conferenced our our ministries almost to death. You go to leadership conferences, and they tell you how to do everything from from parking cars right to taking up the offering right to to uh, dressing right, to having uh, all these things right, having the right audio and lighting and how to do everything just so. I'd love to see there just be a Bible conference that was on the power of God in a ministry. You spend the whole week dealing with just have the power of God in your ministry. Have confidence in His Word. Let's just preach the Word. Preach the Word. When, when a church begins to drift, you can mark it down. They've had confidence in something other than God's Word. They begin to depend on something other than than God's Word. God's Word is that which does the work in the hearts of men. I'll be real honest with you. I know Greg Boer. I do. I know, I know the heart. I may not know it as well as God knows it, but I do know it. And I'll be honest with you. There's sometimes I don't even agree with myself when I say something. Because I'm fallible. Unfortunately, even preachers are tainted with a sin nature. The only thing that we can have absolute confidence in is God's Word. It does not lie. It does not change. It does not vary. It is something that we need to be preaching. We get in these churches so-called today, and there are numbers of them that met today while we were meeting. And they had talks. I heard of a church recently, one that I respect, one that I know the pastor, he's an acquaintance of mine. I wouldn't necessarily say a friend, but I know who he is and we know each other. Um, good man. Has always preached well. I've never had a problem with what he preached. If if I was in that area and lived there and was looking for a church, I could have sat under his preaching. And I, I, I heard something the other day about his service and what he was doing. And they were doing a uh, <coughs> a discussion on a, or a, a message on a particular topic. And he brought a couple up to the platform and had a couple of uh, living room couch chairs sitting up here on the platform and had the husband and wife sit here and he interviewed them for the service. And, and, and he was giving people, he was trying to be a help to people in the congregation by interviewing this man and his wife who were supposed to be examples in this area. And, and I got to thinking, here, here he is putting forth an example of a, of a set of believers that are imperfect. 
They're sinners just like anyone else, and he's holding forth what they're telling people as the authority for their life. Folks, that's never the authority for their life. We have full confidence in God's Word. And these churches that begin to dialogue and they begin to have discussions and they begin to have uh, talks, just preach the Word. Just go back to preaching the Word. There is no improving on God's way of doing things. The Bible says that He hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to accomplish His work. It's something that God has put in place. It's what He wants to be done. And so Paul challenges Timothy. He says, preach the Word. We need to have a confidence in God's Word. If we're going to have confidence in God's Word, then number two, there needs to be a preparedness in God's Word. It's hard to be confident in something that we're not prepared with. You ever tried to lead somebody to the Lord and you kind of stumble and bumble over how to get involved in and start with it? You ever try to try to help somebody on a particular subject and you're, you know the Bible says something about it, but you just can't quite recall, you can't remember where that passage is or what that verse says? That's why Paul told Timothy to study, to show himself approved. You and I as God's people ought constantly be in the, in the practice of preparing ourselves to handle God's Word carefully and skillfully. To study it. To know its pages. And I'm talking about study it thoroughly. Uh, how many of you have been saved for at least five years? Can I see your hands? At least five years. Okay. And if you've been saved ten years or more, ready to keep your hand up. All right. Anybody 15 or more? Okay. 20 or more? 30 or more? I'm not going to ask any more because these ladies aren't even that old. So. <laughs> All right. Here's the problem. Here's the, the, the danger, okay? The danger is we go to church. We are taught in Sunday schools. We are taught by our pastors. And we go for week after week, three services a week or four services a week, and we go year after year after year after year. And, and we're faithful, and that ought to be the case. I heard, one, I heard one fellow say it this way. He said his family was so faithful that if the janitor showed up on Thursday night to wash the windows, his family filled their pew and watched him do it. I mean, they, they just didn't miss service. But here's the danger. We will, we will hear about everything we can hear on about every story there is in Scripture over those numbers of years. And we'll cease to study Scripture. We'll think, I know enough. Can I tell you this? Paul who to me is one of the greatest men in Scripture, was used by God to write more Scripture than any other single man in Scripture. Paul said at the end of his ministry, not as though I had already attained. I, I have not attained. And you know what Paul told the church at, at Philippi? He said, forgetting those things which are behind, he said, I pressed toward the mark. Preparedness in God's Word. If we're going to have confidence in God's Word, I, I know we know that it's true from an academic mindset, and even maybe in our hearts we know that it's true, we believe it by faith, but if we're not prepared with it, if we've not studied it, if we don't know its pages well, then what good is it to us? It's made of none effect. So how do we keep this church from slipping into what we talked about last hour? We have confidence in God's Word. We do that by having preparedness in God's Word. Look with me in verse number 2. Preach the Word, and he says this secondly, be instant in season. You know what that means? That means be ready right now. If the need arises, be ready to give the Scripture. You've got to be prepared with Scripture. We must study it. We must memorize it. 
How many of you, it's harder to memorize now than it was when you were younger? <laughs> I'll put both hands up. It's hard. It takes more effort. takes more work. takes more persistence. And really, that's what it comes down to. Do we study God's Word? Are we preparing ourselves? Are we hiding God's Word in our hearts? Are we learning to handle this book well? If someone comes to you, and I, I, trust me, I, I know when I say something like this, somebody's going to misconstrue what I'm saying. I do not mind at all if anybody in our church is talking with somebody and says, I need you to go talk to my pastor about that. But it should be something that you could talk to them about if you had to. Every person ought to be studying Scripture. I know some people think, well, pastor gets paid to do that. It didn't matter if I got paid or not. My responsibility would still be to study Scripture, to know it. To be prepared with it. Ready to give an answer. Instant in season, Paul tells Timothy. Be prepared. Number three, we need to be persistent in God's Word. In season and out of season. We need to be persistent. Pursue after it. Stay steady at it. Make the, make the pursuit of knowing God's Word... A marathon, not a sprint. Be persistent in it. Be instant in season and out of season, he says. doesn't matter if it's time for you to know the Bible or time not for you to know. you ever been asked by somebody to teach a Sunday school class? You go to the Bible that week and you pour over it. Oh, boy, I better get my lesson ready. And you look up the verses, you write them down. If you're a pastor, you write them down wrong. And... Uh, you write down verses and you're studying and you're preparing and you're getting ready for the lesson. Why don't we do that every week anyway? Whether it's in season or whether it's out of season, be persistent in it. Pursue after it. Number three, number four, protect the doctrine of God's Word. Folks, our doctrine, first of all, should always come from God's Word. And as such, it needs to be protected by His people. We need to always give a defense for it. Look with me in verse number 5. Paul tells Timothy, But watch thou in all things. Watch thou in all things. Why do we need to protect our doctrine? Because he said this in verse number 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So he tells us in verse number 5, because we know that's coming, watch thou in all things. Be alert. The Bible uses this terminology. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Be alert. Be aware. We in, in, in America are... are Reaping the fruit of apathy. We have watched our beliefs, our doctrine erode, and we have remained silent. Folks, we've got to defend sound doctrine. When the Bible says something, we don't try to second guess it. If, if a preacher gets up, and, and, and we've seen this so much in our days, this, this word of faith movement that's out here today, 
where they get up the name it and claim it, the prosperity gospel, if you will. These folks have torn and, and, and whittled away at sound doctrine for decades now. And we as independent fundamental people have sat back and said they're wrong in our own churches. But when we've walked out the doors, we've done nothing to defend sound doctrine. Somebody's got to start speaking up. Somebody's got to be... By the way, we weren't called to debate doctrine. We were called to declare doctrine. We give doctrine. We have more outlets of media to get things out than we've ever had in the history of mankind. It used to be you had to pick up an old rotary phone. Well, it used to be you had to send mail through the mail. You remember that? Or you had to write a letter and mail it and wait three months to get it. Then they had the, the, the telegraph. Then you could send it that way. Then you could have a phone. I was talking to some uh, waitress last night. I was at a restaurant. I was talking to a waitress, 16-year-old, about the phone that my mom and dad used to have in our house. It was the old rotary-style phone. You, know, you had to, you know, all the way back. Some of, you, some of these young people laughing at me like I'm old or something. That's the phone we had when I was growing up. There's only one in the house, too. And you didn't take it in the car with you and go with it. It stayed plugged into the wall. In fact, it was wired straight in. You couldn't even unplug it. That was all we had. Then they came out with cell phones. Boy, those were amazing, weren't they? Then they came out with Internet. I know there's a lot of bad things on the Internet, but can I tell you this? For the right person, it can propagate the gospel in a hurry. Then they came out with these watches. I got one yesterday. Jonathan talked me into getting one. You know that thing? I can talk on that. I, you can call me. I can talk on that. You know what the neat thing is? It tells time, too. Jonathan told me about that yesterday. Folks, we have more ways to get the gospel out and to defend sound doctrine. And to be honest with you, we're in the condition we're in today because God's people sat by with their lips sealed while so-called men and false teachers got up in pulpits around our country and began chipping away and, and, and getting our doctrine all twisted up and began to teach doctrinal error and we remained silent on it. And sad to say, and I, I, don't get me wrong on this, I think we ought to always be soul winning. Not just at one time a week. I think everywhere we go, we ought to be looking for souls to share the gospel with. Everywhere we go, we ought to. And, and I'm not going to say anything negative about soul winning, but here's the thing. We got so busy doing the work of the ministry that we quit defending our doctrine along the way. We didn't have time to study. We didn't have time to write articles. We didn't have time to get on uh, social media accounts and defend our faith. We were so busy doing work, and we're paying the fruit of it now. We're reaping the fruit of it now. Because we have not defended or protected the doctrine of God's Word. The Bible says, but watch thou in all things. Keep your eyes open. They're not going to endure sound doctrine. You start seeing these things happen, be aware of it. Be aware of it. Speak up. Defend it. Show them Scripture on it. You say, how do I defend it? Take them to God's Word. I don't know how many times I've had somebody come and say, Pastor, I was talking to somebody that's a proclaimed atheist or an agnostic this week. How do I, how do I deal with that? And my answer is always the same. Give them Scripture. Well, can I, can I give them this argument? Give them Scripture. My argument, my logic is not what God has given His power to, but He has given His power to His Word. 
And His Word has a way of, of doing the work that you and I cannot do. We need to protect the doctrine of God's Word. It's the most precious part of what we hold to. Number of whatever we're on here. We need to be willing to endure persecutions for upholding God's Word. I know a lot of churches that abandon what they are because they are not willing to pay the price of standing for God's Word. Look with me in verse number 5. Watch down all things, endure afflictions. Jesus said, Yea, and all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not might, but shall suffer persecution. If you and I are to live godly in Christ Jesus, if we're to uplift God's Word, if we're to take the banner of Christ and wave it, we will suffer persecution. And as a church, we need to be willing to endure that affliction. As an individual, I need to be willing to endure the criticism and the ridicule and the persecution if it's for the cause of Christ. Churches that are not willing to do that, individuals that are not willing to do that, will find themselves becoming a liberal church or a liberal individual. We need to be willing to stand for the cause of Christ regardless of the cost. Let me, let me go a step further. We need to endure the cost for standing for God's Word and not just be willing to. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm willing to. But then the time comes and we don't. You know, there were three men that Jesus spoke to. Two of them, He said, follow me. One of them said, Lord, I will follow you. One of them volunteered. And we remember the passage. And He started to tell them the cost of following Him in discipleship. You never hear of those three men. They, they, all, they all abandoned Christ. They said, but let me first go do this. Let me first go do that. And this, this truth is so amazing to me. The, the problem with those three men was not that they were not willing to follow Christ. All three of them were willing. The problem is they weren't willing to follow Him first before other things. And that's the problem I think oftentimes in our churches and individually, I know in my life is a battle. It is a battle that I have to fight. And that is this. When it comes to taking a stand for God's Word, not only being willing to suffer the affliction, but making it a matter of priority and principle. I will suffer the affliction. That's the hard thing to do. It sounds like such a simple concept. But it is such a difficult thing to do. Have you ever noticed that? There are so many things in Scripture that are simple. They're easy to understand. But they are so difficult to practice. Number six, I believe it is. We need to be busy propagating the Word of God. Verse number five. Watch now on all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. You know what an evangelist does? He just goes everywhere he can proclaiming the truth. I mean, everywhere he can. He looks for churches. He looks for corners he can stand on. He looks for tent meetings or sidewalks. He looks for any place that he can have an audience. 
I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. There were times he would go into the synagogue, the Bible says, and he would, he would dialogue with them and he would, he would spend time preaching them the gospel. There were times he'd be out on Mars Hill in the middle of a field. Paul didn't care where it was. He wanted to make sure that he was busy propagating the Word of God. He was an evangelist. We call him a missionary. But he was going around and proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went. I, I don't mind there being a time, a set time in a church. And we used to have one here, and we may have one again in the future now that COVID's kind of over. Uh, to go out and knock on doors and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But I found that there's a danger in that, in that that's the only time we tend to go. We tend to put off the opportunities throughout the week saying, well, I'll go on Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And then we bypass six other days of opportunities that came across our path, and we, we pat ourselves on the back thinking we've done our Christian duty by saying, I'm going to do it on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, and boy, I'll tell you what, I'm there, Pastor. I know a lot of people, they won't come on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, but I know people that didn't come on Thursday night at 7 o'clock that were soul winners all the rest of the week, and they were probably better soul winners than some people that came at Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Why? Because their whole mindset was, I want to propagate the gospel. I want to do the work of an evangelist. Do you know our, our, our work on earth, now that God has saved us, is first and foremost to walk with Him and to grow. But right next to it, the second thing is to go and tell people all the things that we've learned and share it with others. Otherwise, why would God leave us here? Why not just take us to heaven when we got saved? We've been left here to do a work. Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And then he says this in verse number 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Put God to the test. Put God to the test. Show forth the mighty hand of God. I am convinced of this fact over the years. I, I was a youth pastor for uh, 12 years. I watched young people come and go in the church. I watched as they grew up and got out of high school and graduated as a senior, left home, a good godly Christian home, and never went to church another, another time. I am convinced of this, that we have done in our churches a very good job Teaching young people about God. We have done a very poor job at showing them God at work in our lives. It makes a difference. When something happens in my life that's a miracle, and you can ask my son, there are times something will happen and I'll say, Jonathan, that was God. God did that for us. Oh, what a great God we serve who does this for us. Because I don't want to just teach Jonathan from the Scripture about God. I, I, I teach him about it, but I don't want to just do that. I want him to see God at work in my life. And to know that he can have that same God work in his. And we're losing our young people. Because we've done very, very well working the outside shell of the young person in our churches. We teach them how to dress right, and we ought to. We teach them how to talk right, and we ought to. Amen? But we've worked and focused so much on the externals that oftentimes we miss the heart. 
make full proof. Put God to the test. Try Him. Hold Him to His promises. And then when He does something, make sure everybody you come in contact with knows about it. Every once in a while, I've never been one of these people that that wins any kind of reward or award of a contest or anything. I'm not even a good fisherman. I take my brother fishing sometimes, and he'll be sitting there pulling them out like crazy, and I'm sitting there reeling, never catching anything, you know. And I'd enter contests when I was a kid, you know, costume contests or a Bible spelling bee contest or whatever it was or, you know, Bible trivia contest. I never, never was good at that stuff, never won anything. I was out at uh, I was out at the Fort Pierce Airport in in Florida where I lived one Saturday, and uh, they were having an open house and everybody that came in they uh, gave them a, a ticket and you just walk in the door they gave you a ticket and then they threw the half of the ticket with your number on it in the box you had to fill out your name and address on it. And I didn't even know what it was for, but they handed it to me. I filled my little thing out, threw it in the thing. About four hours later, they called me. I was already at home. They said, hey, we were doing a drawing, and you won the top prize. I was like, what? I mean, I never win. You know those car dealerships when they send you those things? You won. You know, you're in the top five. I didn't even win those, and everybody wins those. I mean, I, just, I don't win something. And I, it, was a, it was a couple tickets, I think, to an air show, and, and I got a, a mug or something from them, a coffee mug or something. And a couple little odds and end prizes and things. And I'm going to tell you what, I got so excited, not because the prize was so great, but I won something. Man, it was great. I'd never had that happen before. I mean, I pick up the phone. I call my mom. Mom, tell, I've got to tell you what happened here. I never get this stuff happening. I called my brother, <laughs> rubbed his nose in it because he always wins it, and I, I got it this time. And my sisters, I mean, I called it. I called people in the church. Woke them up at night. They were already in bed. You won't believe this. I got this prize. I was excited about it. Can I tell you this? We have something far, far greater. The way we keep our church from becoming like that church in New York City is to make God's Word the primary thing. We need to be preaching it. We need to be prepared with it. We need to make sure we're persistent with it. Make sure that we make full proof of it. Tell people about it. When God does something good in your life, call up everybody you know. I love to hear when we take prayer requests, somebody says, boy, let me tell you what God did. And I just sit there and rejoice. I hear answer to prayer. Last hour... The invitation, anytime we have visitors, I always try to make sure that we give an invitation of the gospel. Cassidy, who was sitting right back here with her grandma, a couple weeks ago, trusted Christ as her Savior. I'm not going to go into all the background of that, but folks, that was a miracle. And that was something that some people who knew the situation had been prayed for for a long time and really didn't seem like there was going to be a whole lot of hope in it. 
her husband Eric was sitting there. And after church, you guys all went downstairs. I walked down front here and I prayed with Richie for a minute. He wanted to pray. And Eric was standing right here waiting on me. And he said, Pastor, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, I'm not saved. And I need to get saved. And I sat and we talked for a few moments. I showed him some scripture. He already knew the gospel. He just needed to make that step of putting his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary. I said, do you want to do that today, Eric? Do you want to trust the Lord as your Savior today? He said, yes, I'd like to do that. I said, then why don't you just pray right here and ask God to do that for you, to let Him know that you're putting your faith and trust in Him today. He said, you want me to pray out loud? I said, that's up to you. I said, if you want to pray out loud or if you want to pray silently, that's fine too. But I said, you need to let Him know that that's your, what you're doing today. You're putting your faith and your trust in Him and Him alone. And he bowed his head and for maybe a couple moments sat there. I said, just let me know when you're done. He sat there for a few moments praying. And finally, he lifted his head with a smile and said, Pastor, I'm finished. Just, just a few hours ago, a miracle took place. And people need to know about it. Because God did something. Our young people need to hear of it. There may be things in your life, there may be answers to prayer that come across your path. And let's not keep it to ourselves. Make full proof of the ministry. Boy, I'll tell you, if people say, well, how do you know that what you're doing is right? I ought to have so much evidence to show them. I ought to have so much proof that it's an irrefutable fact. Because there certainly is plenty there that God has done. A lot of things we need to be doing to keep our church from becoming liberal. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of things here that you and I can do in our own lives to keep us from drifting. And I hope that will be a help to you. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for this wonderful country that we live in. We certainly rejoiced in that today. We're thankful. For Eric, who trusted you as his Savior today, Lord, no greater, no greater thrill in all the world than to hear someone trust you as Savior, to watch their life be transformed. And uh, Lord, we're thankful, thankful for that today. I pray that you would help us to take the things that we've learned today from Your Word, and Lord, may we put them into practice, that we would take heed to them, put them and apply them to our lives, that we would have confidence in Your Word. We would study it, that we'd be prepared in it. We'd be persistent in it. We would defend it, Lord, that we would lift it up, that we would propagate it, do the work of an evangelist. We'd make full proof of it. We would make sure that people understood the truth of Your Word, not just by what we say, but the things that You do in our lives, that we could show them you working actively in our lives. Father, I pray that you'd help us on this 4th of July to recommit ourselves to remain steadfast, 
or that we're going to lift up the banner, we're going to wave it high, we're not going to allow our doctrines, our distinctives to be eroded any longer. We're going to speak up. We're going to be vocal about it. We're going to defend these things. May we be uh, firm in our resolve. May we be kind and gracious in our stand, yet uncompromising. I pray that you would dismiss us now with your blessings. Thank you so much, Lord, for the time that you've given us together. The fellowship has been sweet. Your Word has, has been helpful. And, Lord, your Holy Spirit has certainly done a great work. We thank you for it and pray that you'll dismiss us now with the messages upon our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.